I read not too long ago that television executives were very concerned about a problem in how much gap there was between the end of the commercial and the beginning of the formal program. And it turns out that they did studies with electrodes on the brains, and that gap from the time that there was an ending of one thing and the beginning of another was very anxious, anxiety-provoking. So they're now trying to smooth it over. So there's a... (laughs) So that we don't get too anxious (laughs) with nothing happening. (laughs) I'd like to talk about that gap tonight. And I'd like to talk about it in terms of the bored mind. B-O-R-E-D, mind. Because I, I, there's a chill. We can easily talk about depression, loneliness, fear, <laughs> anger. <laughs> but whoa, <laughs> boredom. Boredom sends a chill, sends a chill. Down us. In fact, as a Dharma student and as a Dharma teacher, um, as a Dharma student, I found it extraordinarily hard to admit my boredom to a teacher. And it's very rarely admitted to me because it's, it says too much, it reveals too much. We go there and it's like, oh, you know, fear. (laughs) (laughs) And mixed in that boredom, mixed in with it in the, um, is, is, uh, it's not just a single state because it has such a tone and an energy to it. There's a version, you know, and, and a wanting, a wanting. And a, and a uh, and and a kind of a component of of um, disinterest and almost attuned to sleepiness somehow, isn't it? Now I pick this because I like to take some of the closeted areas of our mind and bring them right out there for everyone to look at. In fact, in Seattle, I have done what I call a distortion of mind series, where I've taken 19 different states, mind states, like wanting or loneliness, um, grieving, and brought them out. And this one, I think by far, has received uh, the most anxiety in in the telling. Because it takes us... Uh, And as this talk unfolds, I hope we begin to see what what the implications of boredom is to us as our as a sense of self, as a as a self image, and what it means to us in our most feared sense to of the world itself. 
but the point of doing this is to help the evolution of consciousness move on. And I say that because um, uh, in this day and age, uh, as we uh, look over the face of the earth uh, in 2006 and see the same state uh, of fixed aggression and uh, desirousness, sort of filling um, the, this year as it has in the last moment, uh, millennium, and since the time immemorial, really, there grows in some of us a deep uh, urgency for an evolution of consciousness. I feel it in myself, and I hope we don't have time to dawdle, you know. This isn't, uh, we're not throwing spears anymore. We're much more dangerous than that. And we're affecting the climate, and we're affecting the species, and really the survival of the species is at stake. And I don't want to make it so dramatic that it's, but in fact it is. And I think the evolution of consciousness depends upon bringing out the illusions, the perceptions from these states of mind from which we, in which we give so much credit, and stop letting the mind dictate its perception of reality. That's what disillusionment means, is to move beyond illusion. To stop, to really question these states of mind. And so we bring boredom to the forefront of that questioning. Is it true? It's just this hold the truth of reality, contain it, no matter what. And sometimes... It's almost through catastrophe that we have to, are forced to look at these things. Because if you've ever seen somebody die, there isn't a lot of excitement. In fact, many dying people complain of boredom. Now, if we have such an angst around that, that we can't let a fraction of a second go by between a commercial and a program before we get angst-ridden, what do we think we're going to do if we have any protracted time as in a prognosis or a diagnosis as, we, as it leads towards death? And those catastrophes bring forth, often, we can see, because um, if we know of anything about death and dying, is that people die in character. And that which we fear now, when held in, uh, with tension and refused uh, observation, refused observation, we will die with. With perhaps more um, intensity than it now shows. So it's something that we really have to come to terms with and go into this thing. <coughs> so what's the illusion? The di- how do we dismantle the illusion of boredom? Uh, basically, illusion, uh, boredom is, is stating something. To us, it says essentially, a life 
is uninteresting. This moment is uninteresting. And so it plays into the excitement factor of, on which much of our economy is built. Much of the entertainment factor is built upon your need not to be bored. Your aversive, aversion to being bored. And so the more society and culture can keep you fearful of boredom, the more it can play out its market strategy within that. And it's important to get a sense of this, get a sense of how we are being formed by these forces, and we don't even know it, you know, often unconsciously. It's one of the problems that we have when we're with sleepiness in the meditation. Um, We really, I mean, we really take arms against sleepiness because meditation is supposed to mean vitality, activity, energy, clarity, right? Those are what, that's what meditation means to many of us. And a state like boredom or sleepiness or its derivatives doesn't invite what we believe meditation is. In fact, it seems to be just, it's almost um, against the very thing that we are purported to be doing. As if there wasn't any aliveness in those states, that only the states of activity, vitality, and energy contained any aliveness. And it's our job as meditators to prove that strategy wrong, to find life within every aspect of the mind and body experience and recover that life. Recover the life that's inherent, but somehow being blocked by the translation that we give the state of mind. See, we translate it. The state of mind presents a particular image of the world, a particular um, presentation of the world. In this case, boredom, uninteresting. And it has an emotional tone that convinces us and words associated with that emotional tone that we have derived from aversion to that state of mind that we totally buy into. We believe in fully. And so when that state arises, there's nothing meditative about boredom. In fact, we move into countermeasures immediately uh, to get over it. Now, let me just bring in another Dharma word here. Simplicity. You see, simplicity is living life on its terms. Boredom is inducing excitement in order to live. Simplicity does not demand any alteration from what is being presented. 
And this practice is a movement towards greater simplicity and authenticity. We don't see the possibility. We, we hear a sense that, we, that joy could cohabitate with simplicity. There's a sense in us that if we could just uh, come into a relationship of natural, organic being, that there would be kind of a joy associated with that. In fact, we see that in the lightness of being of the masters. But we don't see that there could be joy in boredom. Why can't there be joy in boredom? Because to have joy, not to have excitement. Excitement is circumstantial. You wait long enough, things will get exciting or dramatic or will create drama for the excitement, which is the reason that much of our drama is created to keep us from boredom. We fictitiously create problems for ourselves to offset the real problem, which is a boring mind. Anything but boredom. But we don't see that there could be any joy in boredom itself because joy arises only when we show up. And the state of boredom is the state of not showing up. So the catch-22 of boredom is that unless we show up, joy will not reveal itself and we won't show up because it's boring. And we think, we hedge. You see, we can feel the hedge. Like boredom is like, uh, you see, it takes us, which I'll get into in a minute, it takes us to a kind of uh, existential crisis, really, where we're not sure that there's anything but this. And if it's not self-stimulated, if so we you know if we can't raise ourselves up if we can't lift ourselves up so we're always trying to kind of willfully lift ourselves up lift ourselves up see in boredom the mind is actively configuring reality to be uninteresting. It's not you. You're not bored. There's not a bored person behind it. There's just the configuration of how reality is being perceived through the screen or coloration of boredom. And then the reaction to boredom and the implications of what boredom means about the image is where I come in as being a bored person. But it's just the mind state. By believing the words and the emotions associated with that mind state, we give our power over to the state of mind. Different words. It's so interesting. 
It's so interesting to me because different times in the day, there's times if we just stay put that boredom turns into something else. It's not boring anymore and something else comes up that's very interesting and we start up and then we're angry and then we're fearful and then we're joyful and then we're happy and then content and, and then each lasting only a period of small period of time. It's like one of those old viewfinders that like that. And each one contains a complete characterization of ourself and the world and we are completely confused, completely believe in that uh, those sets, even though 10 minutes later, another whole new presentation of the world arrives at our doorstep. I'm happy, I'm sad, I'm miserable, I'm happy, I'm depressed, I'm lonely, I'm... Gonna... It's like, what? And we don't... It's like... And for somehow it, it miss that we miss we miss that, that you know this that this is happening that the slides are changing. It's because each state is so convincing of the reality that it imparts. I mean, when you're depressed, it's like this is the world, right? And when you're angry, this is the world. And when you're bored, this is the world. And the what happens to the world in between those? Why do we take it to be so absolute when 10 minutes later it's not that anymore? I mean, now the Dharma, the motor, the driving force of the Dharma, as nicely spoken about last night by Heather, is interest. Interest. Interest, interest has the willingness to go where it's interested. And it has the power to explore, to take apart, to investigate uh, through its interest and to come to the truth of whatever it is focused upon. But if you're bored, you don't have the interest. You don't have the driving power of the Dharma. In fact, the interest is trying to get through, but it gets warped through that state of mind like a beam of light gets refracted by water. And it comes, the interest then becomes, how do I get out? I'm interested in how I get out of boredom. It hits the surface and skips. Instead of going down, penetrating. How do I get out of boredom? And what is boredom? Are two very, very different questions. And we can be interested in either one. It depends on whether we're believing the assumptions of the state of mind. If the assumptions are assumed and believed in, then we're going to ask how. But if we can look at this thing sufficiently, bring some energetic response to it, and there is that, 
If there isn't the belief in the, then it frees up that energy to explore itself. And that's the only way to access that energy. Then it's then that energy uh, is um, almost invincible in its penetration. It just moves. Because the further it moves, the deeper towards the source it gets, the more interested it becomes. It's like a magnet where the speed, the proximity to the poles increases the speed. And so if we can arouse as teachers interest in what it is that you present, first you have to present it. First you have to be willing to present it. You're not going to throw us off by telling us you're bored. But if you are willing to bring it out into the open and put it there, we perhaps can work with you to configure your meditation so that you can become interested in that very thing. We're so afraid that boredom represents the state. You see, I mean, we, we all want to be present, but what we're really afraid that, pre- that being present means is that we will be bored. And so rather than be present, we'll be present with something. We'll be present with the hyperbole, the exaggerated, the, the large waves of our mind, those that really feel like we're surfing, you know, not the dry desolation of boredom, the high surf. I mean, I, what would happen to you? Oh, I was so afraid and panicked and I had such passion and lust. And oh, oh. <laughs> you see, the, the assumption of boredom, the configuration of reality when, when perceived through the mentality of boredom is that everything is known. There's nothing left. To, isn't that right? It's just like, I've seen this before. This is all, it's, everything's kind of repetitious and, and sameness. You see, and how can interest come? Where does interest, you can't be interested in something you already know. Something you already know sparks no interest because you already know it. You can only be interested in something you don't know. But boredom says everything's known, so no wonder interest can't get through. And there's a, there's a kind of way that boredom configures itself so that there's a lack of intentional focus. Because if you ever focused on something intentionally, you wouldn't be bored anymore. It requires the absence of intentional focus. Because when you focus on something, you see something new. And therefore, interests arise from that newness. But it's so hard to stir any interest when the very state of mind says that everything is uninteresting. You see what we're up against here? I just want, it's so interesting how the mind confirms, confirms 
And we don't even, we don't push the confirmation, we don't question the confirmation. And therefore, we won't explore boredom to know what it really is. So the state of boredom is really the state of, of non-exploration, which means that we're not, never going to understand what boredom is. So it's its own defense. It's its own defense. You see this? It's its own defense. I love taking states of mind, just ripping them apart. <laughs> you know, just like throwing them out here. You see, we have to listen very quietly to hear through the known, don't we? You have to be willing to enter that new evolution of consciousness, really. That's what it, that's, this is what it takes. Where things hold a potential that just knowing can never hold. They hold it holds an openness, an open everything is is an infinite openness. And in that state of wonder, wonder, W O N D E R. The question of boredom doesn't even arise. It doesn't even arise. It cannot arise. But to back off and to assume the the immediate mental assumptions of things being known throws us into a state in which boredom is an indication of the person who is looking. Now let me explain this, because I think this is an interesting component, and not often pursued far enough, I think. There's a kind of way that when we allow ourselves to feel boredom, it activates sort of the worst image that could be activated in us. Not the sense of inadequacy, which is bad enough, but some of us have adapted quite well to that. (laughs) But the image that I am boring, that I am ordinary, that I am uninteresting, That we fear. The other we can work with. We get our parents and uh, we go to a therapist. You know. <laughs> what if the bottom line of all that is that I'm just not an interesting person? You feel it? Yeah, there you go. Yeah. 
I'm scaring this woman. <laughs> Stay with me. <laughs> it resolves itself well. And it also says something we fear most about the possibilities of the world. That it's not worth living. Now we're really in there, aren't we? (laughs) So... Because of the power of those images and the power of what these states of mind mean to us and the potentiality of the loss of all meaning, we say, well, I don't think I'll go there because it may prove itself to be correct. I will create drama. I will create intensity for me to pull me out of this mire and to spring forth and to what I know what life is about, and the Dharma, back to vitality. Resurrect myself. And it also saves me, it's a defense against, it sees a hedge. If I'm, you know, boredom can stop me from showing that I really will falter. And then we, in that hedge, in that moment of hedging, there can be a, a, a turning very subtly, perhaps even unconsciously, towards, well, I'll, I'll go towards the pleasurable. Because that, th- there's more affirmation for me in that which is pleasurable. What if I'm not up to living? You see, what if I'm not up to living? What if it's all dead? What if it's lifeless? We hear words like emptiness, and it reconfirms our fear of boredom, really. It says, who wants to go em- emptiness? That's what my greatest fear is, that it is empty, that it's lifeless, that it's desert-like, that it's ordinary, that it's routine. And the present moment represents that to us because that's what happens when we are with the present moment because the defense of boredom is the protector at the entrance of the present to keep us looking further, discerning further. It sends its big troops. So then we're off, you see. Because what boredom does is it says the future, what will be anticipated far exceeds this, this dryness. So wait it out, meditator. Wait it out. Don't pierce it. Wait it out. Because you know things change, right? So wait it out. It will change. Yes, it will change. But you've seen nothing about boredom. You haven't cracked it. It's lifeless, and it will come back. 
charged with the aversion that we just gave it through our waiting. See, we have to face these fundamental questions. Is life worth living? Am I without value? Is life without value? Is there any meaning? We have to face these fundamental issues. These are very existential issues. These are, this is a crisis of spirit when we look at our minds. The future holds the promise for me. And when we say things change, the future holds the promise from that very phrase. That's a misuse of that understanding. And boredom is the defender of the status quo, of the impenetrability of our dependency on time, on the need for the future. My God, what if I'm all of this and I prove that I'm just ordinary, average? So we're going to look at this. We're going to bring some Dharma life into this. You think I would talk about this if I was afraid of it? So with our combined energies. We can look at this thing so that no one has to be afraid of it. What does it mean to be ordinary? Let me look at that word. Maybe I am. I I don't know. It's a fear. And we begin to feel what authenticity means, what simplicity means, what all these words that we have been pointing to, not as the drab counter part that our mind weighs in on. We feel the source of life itself. Vitality, clarity, non-clarity. That's not those are not the source of life itself. Those are not the source of our aliveness. Whether we're vital or energetic or clear or... Think of your Dharma word. has nothing to do with life. Can't touch it. But if we hold that description... And our practice accountable to that description, then boredom will weigh in like the monster of monsters. And the real life comes from the courage to question, comes from the swinging of the heart, from the trap door of boredom that it sees because it's it, somehow over time it's had enough of its eye open so that it's catching this sinister entrapped enclosed 
room that boredom maintains. And wait a second. Whoa, wait a second here. I'm going into this thing. Come what may. Come what may. Image. Maybe it will devastate me forever. I look at the masters. I read the books. It doesn't seem to. In fact, just the opposite. Which means, I don't, I don't understand it. How can it feel so real to me and so illusory in the books I read. And so I have a little courage from other people's exploration. And I begin to see that the state of mind configures a reality. Through my mind's eye, when I'm bored, there's a configuration of reality and a certain image in here of being the bored person. And I try to counterbalance that by sitting up straighter and showing everybody that I'm Buddha-like, but I'm really just losing it inside. And I'm, But the words... The words of this state and the words of the other state and the words of all the states that pass through me, they seem so convincing. But after a while, it's like, what, how can all of these equally be true? How can this be true and how can that be true and how can that be true? From the same reality, and I've never left the retreat. How can all that be true? And I, nothing has changed. Not fundamentally. Only the state of mind has changed. So maybe the state of mind isn't true. Maybe the words, as convincing as they seem, are not true. Now I'm getting interested because I am no longer enmeshed in the content of the boredom. In the content of the boredom, there is no interest. But when I question the content, Now there's interest. And there's some latitude. Although it's still, the feeling of it is still, that's okay, let me see this thing. And what about the emotion? See, I'm going underneath. The awareness is going underneath the state of mind. Not skipping along the surface any longer with the assumptions, with every skip, but going underneath when I was growing up, my mother would make a chocolate cake in the frosting. And then she, I said, can I lick the bowl? But we were, she grew up in the Depression, and when she, she would take her spatula and she would go right, a, and there would leave no frosting there. So it was, it was slim pickings. And that's what I often think about, what the awareness does. It goes right down to the surface of the bowl with a spatula. Underneath. What? Now I'm in no person land. No land. Because boredom set up a contingency. Set up a... It gave me a 
posture in a world and a problem to solve and a future to wait. It gave me time. It gave me location. And it gave me hope that this would end. But when you scrape under the bowl, you are without hope. Now it gets fun. Because that new evolution of consciousness comes as that spatula touches the glass. And suddenly, the question of boredom is no more. As long as I followed the words of boredom, those words were waiting for the words of other states of mind to take me out of words, which never happens until that state of mind changes and its disposition changes, and now I'm out of boredom through the next state of mind's words. But when I'm underneath the word, words can't touch me. And now there's a dimension of presence, of consciousness, of awareness. You know what aliveness is when you touch that glass. Independent of any condition. And awareness so vast that it's without dimensions. And a courage and an interest that will go anywhere at the slightest obscuration and so we t- sit here we sit here on retreat and we bring forth the courage first to focus I'm bored. Let us focus. Let's see if there's any truth to this. Let us have the courage to test the assumptions on which the mind state plays. Let's just look. And as soon as you start looking beyond the words, not just with the word that I'm bored and uh, he says to look and I don't really want to look. It's not that. It's looking. It's showing up. It's being present with. Already the boredom can't sustain itself. And every one of us in the room can do that. So let us do it. What are we doing here? We're either reinforcing the old consciousness or we're moving into the new. Don't complain about George Bush. Don't complain about war if you're unwilling to look at yourself because that is the state of war. So now I see that 
come what may. Thank you. Can we sit for a minute or two? Right now, as we sit, without resistance, because because consciousness is complete at all times. And that's it. Whatever its presentation, whatever its form, all that requires is you not to move from it. Is that you don't resist it. For it to evolve on its own through that stillness. Feel the stillness. Even as we speak about it, it comes to the room. Now we're scraping the bowl clean. Because that... will never form. Thank you all. Sometimes talks are meant to push a little bit, to stretch. Dharma needs to stretch. We ground and then we hopefully need to... Like a, if you attend a, a Shakespearean play or a fine piece of music like a Beethoven symphony, You have to stretch up, stretch up to catch it. It requires your total attention. The Dharma is exactly the same, and we have to stretch up. It's not complacency. It's not sameness. It's not routine. It's keep the spirit of that.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.